0: Everyone and welcome to a very special episode of the Gospel Boldly podcast, and it's oh wait no, a less special than normal episode of the Bo- Gospel Boldly podcast. I am Pastor Eric Brown. I'm here by myself today. Sometimes it's just hard for uh, Thomas lumpy and I to to hook on up and get our schedules to mesh. Uh, he works hard. I have weird pastor schedule, and we don't see each other face to face, so it can be a little odd. Um, but at any rate, uh, today what I thought I would do since I'm on my own, is do something short and entertaining. And if I want to do something short, but in the Bible, there's nothing better to do than the book of Philemon. Uh, Most of you may know the book of Philemon is uh, one of the letters of Paul, and it is incredibly short, as in it is 25 whole verses, one page in most Bibles, one chapter, and that is it. And it was also part of some of the most interesting study I had ever had at seminary. Uh, When I was in the seminary, we had a class on uh, on the Bible, on the idea of Scripture, of Revelation. It was called Revelation and Scripture. Go figure. And it was about how we understand and why we think and confess that Scripture is indeed the Word of God. And my professor, Dr. Scare, said, you can tell from any book of the Bible how it has claims within it that show that it is meant to be the word of God. And one of my friends said, yeah, what about Philemon? And the next three weeks, Dr. Scare took us through Philemon. So with that in mind, I fear we could, just as a background, it was some of the best classes I had at seminary, and so I have a love of this short book, so I fear we'll dive on in. So let's begin. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from our God and our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something very important to note out here: um, we we often call these books in the Bible the the latter part of the New Testament epistles, and they are letters. But one of the things that makes something a churchly letter is that it's not just a piece of personal correspondence. It's not just, hey, I'm Paul. I feared I'd write something to someone. No, even though this is a letter of Paul, note that he is writing it with Timothy. And he's not, so so first of all, it's not just Paul's individual opinion. Even though he's the one taking the, the four and writing it, Timothy is signing off on it. So you've got multiple clergy, for the lack of a better word, saying, yes, we we as pastors think this is a good thing. And who are they writing to? They're writing to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. So in other words, they're writing it to a, a pastor. And they are, wh- where is Philemon a pastor at? Well, let's see. Uh, it would be at the church in the house of Apfia and Archippius. Now, here's one thing that, that happened in the ancient world. Normally, when we think of a church, we think of a nice specialized building where we go to, normally something that we've all built up long ago or our grandparents built or what have you. In the early church, you couldn't openly have a church. That doesn't happen until after Constantine uh, becomes emperor around 312, I believe. So for the first 300 years of the church, basically, what would happen is one of the rich families in the congregation would set aside a room where the local church could meet in their own house. Uh, so uh, basically, if someone had enough, a big enough house for a spare bedroom or two, the church would be there. So basically, you would have, when you were addressing the church, you'd end up addressing the pastor of the church, the pastor of the congregation, in this case Philemon, and then also the people who owned the house. Uh, in this case, it would be Aphia and Archippus because they were the ones who basically were responsible for, for running the affairs of the church. So what we have here is we have a letter from Paul and Timothy, from, from these church figures to the church structure. So... Right away, we've got a a, a churchly letter. Now, what would this churchly letter be about? Let's dive in. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ Jesus. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Okay, right away with that. Normally, Paul likes to do the, the I thank God. Here, here's what I've been praying for when I when I've mentioned you guys in my prayers. Here's why I've given you thanks for. And the thing Paul is emphasizing here is that Philemon has been faithful that he has rightly proclaimed christ jesus and him crucified forgiveness love all these wonderful things the 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 very i don't want to call them the virtues of the faith but but all the things that a a preacher should be doing that's what philemon has been been doing um he he he's been sharing the faith he's been uh Showing love to the people that he is to be serving. He's he's dealing with full knowledge, so he's not skimping things. It, it, it's a great thing. And he, Paul even notes, I've derived joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, I, I want to emphasize this, because one of the things that we get with most of Paul's epistles is they're sent when things are drastically wrong. Um Sometimes I think we, we can almost make the time of the apostles into a mythical golden age where, man, things must have been going really nice. Think how great it would be to, to have the Apostle Paul around and running things because that would make everything go so smoothly. No, if you read any of Paul's letters, they're always dealing with something that is messed up, something that is wrong, where there's something catastrophically going bad. 1 Corinthians so messed up he has to send a second corinthians everyone with the exception of rome romans because he hasn't been there yet and really there's not too much messed up at ephesus but still um most of the time paul is writing to address a specific problem at a congregation this time he doesn't have to philemon you've got your ducks in a row Athia and, and Archippus, your church is set up well. This is great. This is good. It it it, it gives me joy. I, I can think about you guys and I can just think, ah, yay, it's going well there. I feel better about life. And then I kind of have a little bit of encouragement before I go dive on into dealing with someone else's problems. So it, it's really a, a very high and good compliment. But it also sets up for what Paul is going to ask in the rest of the book verse 8 accordingly no great that's a great word on the basis of the fact that you have everything set up well on the basis of the fact that you have your ducks in a row here's what i'm going to ask accordingly though i am bold enough in christ to command you to do what is required yet for love's sake i prefer to appeal to you i paul an old man and now a prisoner also for christ jesus I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. And now the rubber meets the road. Apparently what happens, and we kind of connect some dots, but what you gather from this is that Philemon has a strong tie to Onesimus. Uh, What we would say basically is (laughs) Onesimus was a slave. And Philemon was his master. And now while this sounds well we're we're Americans, we have our own history with slavery, and it it we we hear things through that lens. Slavery was a somewhat common practice in the ancient world, and it wasn't a matter of race as it became in the u s. It was really much more a matter of social and economic class. And it wasn't quite the the matter of degradation that it was in the u s. Um, In some ways, you can almost think of slavery this way, slavery in the ancient world. You never got to grow up. You were always treated like a kid in your owner's, in your master's house. They were supposed to care for you. They were in charge of disciplining you, but you never got to go out on your own. You were stuck there. You You were treated perpetually like the child never set off on your own. You were part of their household you could be very well respected, you could be famous, but you never got that responsibility of independence. Well, Onesimus runs away. And one of the things he does when he runs away is he, uh, well, somehow makes his way to Paul. And what we get here is uh, Paul does say uh, that he became Onesimus' father in his imprisonment. So, For whatever reason, Onesimus runs away and hooks up with Paul, where Paul is in jail. And Paul says he becomes his father. Now, that doesn't mean owner, but rather that is implying a spiritual thing. When Onesimus runs away, it doesn't sound as though he were Christian. But he feared he'd run to Paul because, ah, Paul's a good little sap. He'll take me in. But when he runs to Paul, apparently he converts. So now they, they, they that Paul describes it as though he has a relationship with Onesimus. So what does that mean? Paul had a runaway slave who now has converted to the Christian faith. Oh, what do we do now? Well, we'll figure that out a little bit after the break. Alright, and we're back to this very special or the special edition of the Gospel Boldly Show, where we are looking through the Book of Philemon. And when we left, we had a sticky wicket. Paul has uh basically taken in a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus, who uh who had been the uh the slave of Philemon. And well, things are going rough, and so Paul has decided to Basically, uh, appeal, make a, a defense for Onesimus. And what Paul is requesting is, you know what, Philemon? Onesimus has been really useful for me. Can you send him back to me? Let him stick with me. Now, this is a bold thing to ask because generally, if you've had a slave who run away, you don't let them out of your sight again. You, you, if you get a hold of them, you you, you lock things down. I mean, that that was just the way it was done. So Paul is asking a rather big thing. But note how Paul does this. He had first begun the letter by saying, you know, Philemon, you show love and faith. You you teach people rightly. That's great. Um, You refresh them. I'm not going to demand that you refresh me. Again, Starting at eight again although I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Paul's not going to pull rank he's not going to say listen I'm the apostle I need him send him to me rather he understands that there is a pre-existing relationship between Philemon and Onesimus and that relationship went bad so he sends onesimus back to to Philemon this is all right. You two need to sort this out. I know how I'd like you to have it sorted out. Ideally, there should be forgiveness. There should be recognition that he is your brother, and frankly, you should send him back to me. But, but I'm not going to demand that of you. I'm going to put the ball into your court, Lehman, and I am going to trust that you are going to do what is right and proper in doing this. Paul is demonstrating both a, a great trust in Philemon and acknowledgement that Philemon will be able to get over any anger that he has towards Onesimus. Because, I mean, this is something that's problematic. that is That has been difficult for him. Yeah, I know you're upset, but you're going to do the right thing. I, I, I trust you to do that. But more than that, one of the things we get here is a dancing around, a, a teaching not so much directly but but circumstantially circum uh, a teaching of the doctrine of vocation. Vocation is a very big thing of the Christian church. The idea is that we are called by God to our various tasks, our vocation whatever position, whatever duties we have in life, these are things given to us by God. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, Eric Brown, you're called by a church to be a pastor. Clearly that comes from God. Well, yeah, I'm also a husband. Therefore, what God has joined together, lot not my man separate, I'm a father. Hey, God has given me kids, but also I'm a friend to people. God has put me in their lives. I, I'm a son. God has given me to my parents. All the, the interactions, all the relationships that we have, all the duties we have, we as Christians understand that these are given to us by God. And as such, they're, they're gifts, they're blessings, they're they're wonderful things to go and live out, even though sometimes they might be burdensome or or uh, onerous. Paul looks at this and says, you know what? You each have a vocation to each other. Onesimus has a vocation. He is Philemon's slave. He should work that out. Likewise, Philemon is Onesimus' master. That's a vocation. That, that, you've got responsibilities towards Onesimus too. You two need to work that out and be at harmon- harmony with each other. And while I'd enjoy to, to uh, let Philemon occupy a different vocation, a vocation where he'd be very useful to me as my assistant, I'm not going to jump in the way of what God has given you to. God has put the two of you together for a reason, so I'm not going to jump in the middle of that. In fact, this is what uh what Paul says in verses fifteen and sixteen. For perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but more than a slave, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So again, what you have here is Paul saying, look, you had a relationship. That that That's what goes on. And, and let's face it, that relationship got messed up. Paul doesn't try to assign blame. He doesn't throw all the blame on Onesimus. He doesn't throw the blame on Philemon. He's not worried about why it got messed up. In fact, well they probably understand how it got messed up more than any of us do and more than any of us we need to know. But rather, Paul says, look, things are different now. You don't have just the relationship of, of master and slave, master and one who must obey, but rather you are both brothers in Christ and that is a profound, profound thing. And that should shape the way you both approach how you need to act with each other. I'm guessing Onesimus probably didn't really think, oh, great, I get to get sent back to Philemon. He ran away. But yet, this is what you are. Go see your brother in Christ, Philemon, Onesimus. Go back and take care of this. And likewise, with with Philemon, here you go. Now, you know what you should be doing, Philemon. I'll give you a little bit of time to work this on out, but time to step on up. Put, put the money where your mouth is, as it were. But don't do that by the strength of your own character. No, Paul doesn't appeal to Onesimus's character here, but rather look at what you have from the Lord. You have a brother in Christ. You have more than you thought you had when Onesimus ran away. Ran away. You got something better. So delight in that. Now, does that cover everything? Eh, somewhat. But Paul decides he's going to uh add in just a little bit more of an appeal. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Now, Paul does apply a little bit of a rhetorical pressure here. You know what? If he owes you something charge it to my account. Consider consider his debts my own debt. Oops, I have taken them up. Of course, uh, if we really want to measure things in terms of debt, uh, think about how much you owe me. Not just probably in terms of money or cash or anything, but, you know? Uh, I, it sounds like Paul was the guy who taught Philemon the faith. You know, you owe me eternal life. If, if you want to ter- put things in terms of who owes who what, I brought the gospel to you, pal. <laughs> God worked through me to bring you eternal life. You, you you gonna repay that back? Do you want to make everything be tit for tat? Or do we let things run by grace? And this is something that's very important even when we look at at our vocations. A lot of times we think of work in exchange for something. You rub my back, I'll rub your back. Uh, I will do X hours a week at X dollars a week, and you will pay me, and this is how we do things. Very, very transactional. That's actually not how we as Christians are to approach our work or our vocation. Our vocations are gifts of opportunities, gifts of of the ability to go and serve our neighbor as we were created to do, to be confident and sure that what we're doing is good. This is one of the the big things that that Luther keyed in on. He had been a monk. He had gone to the monastery, and he looked at all the things he had done in the monastery and said, you know what? Most of those things I thought were great good works were stupid because instead of me helping my neighbor— instead of me living out the vocations god had given to me uh, given to me i ran away from the world and i just kind of made up my own holiness no no that's not the way we do we should we should recognize our own vocations as gifts and live out in them because there we know that we have a safe way to serve god and love him um, does that always mean our our vocations are easy or what we'd want them to be <laughs> no But even if the vocation we're in is lousy, it's still a gift and opportunity from God. Even if if the class I'm taking is lousy, I don't like it, it's still a gift. Even if my parents are difficult, they're still a gift to me from God. Even if my friends aren't as wonderful as I'd like them to be, guess what? They're a gift from God to me, and they need my service all the more. And so this is sort of that that radically different way of looking at things that we have as Christians, where it's not a matter of, am I getting out what I'm putting into it? But rather, ooh, is this a matter of how I can serve? Oh, look, yes, it is. Uh, the simple example of this is when John in his gospel refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's not John saying, look how great I am. That's John saying, man— I was a hard one to deal with. Jesus must have really loved me. And he really had to work at loving me. So, all right, we'll, we'll go take a, a another break and then we'll wrap up the book. So, uh, see you in just a few. All right, and we're back and let's go finish off. The, let's go finish off Eileen Think about this. We're going to have gone through an entire book of the Bible. Awesome. Don't you feel accomplished? I do. All right. So starting in at verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Okay, there there Paul kind of turns it. You know what? This is a good thing. This is a way that you can help me out. You know, I'm in chains. I'm in prison. It's kind of hard for you to show love to me there. Oh, wait, we found a way for you to show love. Send me someone to help out because you know what? You've gotten by perfectly fine without them. So verse 21, confident. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. All right. This is how it should work out. You you know what needs to be done. And you know what? You're going to do it. You're going to exceed expectations, because that's what you're going to do. You'll figure out some even better way to show love to me than I thought. Now... There's two ways we could look at that. We could look at that very cynically and say, ah, this is masterful rhetorical manipulation. Ah, great job. Or we could say it's just honest confidence. Because again, Paul's vocation, Paul's job is not to care for Paul. Paul might think that, hey, yeah, sending me Onesimus is a great way to care for me. But really, the person who has the job of caring for Paul are Paul's neighbors. Philemon has the job of caring for Paul. So Paul throws the ball back into his court. All right, Philemon, go care for me. That, that That's your job, your task, and I know you're going to do it. And you know what? You'll probably even do it better than I would have done it myself. Because God has given you your talents to serve me. This is one of the things that, that, that makes any relationship work well. I'm going to use the, the example of my marriage. I know most of you probably aren't married yet, but that's fine. But but I, I'm married to my wife. In that marriage, it's my job to care for my wife. That's my primary concern. How, how do I take care of the woman God has given to me? Likewise, it's my wife's job to take care of me to to see that that I'm taken care of, that my needs are met. And what happens is in this relationship, when, when it works well, we're each freed up from worrying about ourselves so that we can focus on the other. And that makes things go in this great, wonderful, circular motion. That's what Paul's calling for here. All right. Philemon, don't let your anger at Onesimus distract you from showing love as you ought. Don't let let your own anger or disappointment stop you from showing love as you know you should. This is one of the things that comes up. We were designed by God. We were created by God to love our neighbor. Sin jumps in the way of that. Sin gums up the works, as it were. And so rather, our call is to resist that temptation so that we do show love. And then when things do get gummed up, and you know what I'd say, I'd say, uh, having the one guy run away from the other is a pretty big gumming up the situation. All right, No, we're coming back together, but let's look at what we are. We are both, you are both Onesimus and Philemon, redeemed children of God, brothers in Christ. So in spite of the friction that's been in your relationship, the great overarching truth and reality is you have both been forgiven. You have both been, dare I say, gospeled boldly. And that's how things wrap up and go. Um, well, let me get to the final and the final few verses. Ephaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, we, we add in more names. This is a big churchly thing. Now, one of the things that comes up is why did Paul make this a public issue? Well, you know, it was a, the, the whole situation is a good teaching opportunity to show how the gospel should predominate in our lives. One of the things that we will talk about, at least amongst us pastors, is that in a sermon, the gospel should predominate. Yes, every sermon is going to have law where where we deal with sin and its impact and its consequences and and do not do this and this is what you've done, all that type of stuff. And then every sermon should have gospel. Uh, This is what Christ Jesus has done for you. You are forgiven. His forgiveness is for you. You have life in him. And we want the gospel to predominate. I mean, the, that, that is the, 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 the law is true, the gospel is true as well, and the gospel is even the, the, I'd say, the more important truth, the more wondrous truth. This is an example of, hey, here's how the gospel predominates in your life. By letter of the law, Philemon could drop the smack down on Onesimus. You can do that, but if you do that, you are letting the law dominate your life. You are letting sin and and its expected consequences shape the way everything uh, goes. Uh, the consequences for a runaway slave were not pretty, and Paul doesn't say, "All right." Take Onesimus back and make an example of him so that no slave ever dares to think to run away again. We need to have the consequences shown for to be an example so that no one else messes up. No, not his interest. Rather, he treats Philemon gently. He builds Philemon up. This is going to be hard for you, pal, because you're probably angry. But you know what? It's good for you. your brothers in Christ. Let that truth shape the way you look at everything in your life. So there you go. That's the letter to Philemon. And I think it's a, a great reminder for us. Wherever you are, my dear friends, you are one who's been baptized into Christ Jesus. You are my brother or sister in Christ. And you know what? That's an awesome thing. Go about your life knowing that you're forgiven, that you're free to serve, and you know what? You mess up, other people mess up for you. That's why Jesus Christ came, was born, why he suffered and died, so that you're forgiven, they're forgiven. And that's the thing that we should always remember. That should shape, the. that's the lens through which we should see the entirety of the world, the forgiveness won for us by Christ Jesus upon the cross. So, all right, folks, have a good one um i'm gonna let you guys go on off take care be well and uh see you back in john later on have a good one y'all